As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. I have the distinct pleasure today of being with Megan Lazier. Chief Solution Strategist of Talent Plus. Megan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Mike. So Megan, you have been a part of our community now for several months. We've been spending time together, getting to know one another's work. And I'm so excited to have you come on and talk about the power of 360s. So we want this episode to kind of really zone in into self-awareness, personal development, and you bring such an incredible amount of experience to this, Dr. Lazier, to this work. So I'm, I'd love to hear a little bit about how did you get into the space of people science and, you know, assessments and tools and data analytics? Great question, Mike. So when I first started off in school, I, I knew I had fallen in love with psychology and Falling in love with psychology means that there are a lot of different paths and a lot of different choices one can make. And I found myself in one of those odd semesters where my schedule was just a nightmare. And the only psychology elective I could take that semester was industrial psychology. And it was Monday night, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. And I'm not a night person. And I was just really grumbling that I was going to have to take this night class. And just that it was going to be an awful semester and two classes in and I was reading ahead and I was staying after to talk to the professor and I was researching grad schools and it was just the light bulb went off and I just knew I had found the perfect blend of psychology and business and that opened the door to learning about how research comes into that fold and data comes into that fold and so I just really have really tough scheduling semester to thank for that in undergrad, because I I probably would not have sought that out on my own because I didn't know what it was. My guess is, Megan, that half of our audience has heard of industrial and organizational psychology and half hasn't. We've had the pleasure, even when we were launching Talent Magnet Institute, we had hired multiple IO majors to join our team to help us think through some key things that we needed to navigate. And a few of them stayed with our company as long as three years or so before moving back home. We were leveraging the Xavier I.O. program here locally in Cincinnati, Ohio. But can you go into a little bit more of like the definition of I.O. psychology for those listening that may not know what it is? Absolutely. And the the Xavier program is a is a wonderful program here locally in Cincinnati. And to talk a little bit about IO, which I always love to do, it is the science of human resources. It's the science of people. It's a way to help people be their best selves at work. And it's a way to help organizations grow too. So by blending psychology with research and data. Industrial psychologists are in this interesting cross-section 
and they really get to help people, you know, find and live their potential. And they can help organizations, you know, be that place where people can live their potential and also just have immense growth and truly understand what their their mission and purpose is and just really go after it. So I love the cross section because when you bring in the psychology, you're bringing in theories of human behavior and you're bringing in ethics and you're bringing in, you know, the, the rights and the wrongs and different ways of looking at things and different perspectives. And then when you bring in the research, you're looking at, you know, how do you set up a study to really uncover what you want to learn? And then ultimately the data driving those kinds of insights and, and reveals along the way. So I think it's a fun field. It's it's just a great place where so many things meet that I I enjoy all of them. And I just consider it an honor to be part of this field. Yeah, it is something that I, I know as we continue to grow as an organization and reach more and more leaders across the world, I envision that we'll have an entire IO department, right, of leaders and people with IO experience throughout Absolutely. the organization because it brings such a strength to the conversation and to the knowledge base. So I admire the industry. I follow PSYOP on social media and, you know, subscribe to newsletters and stuff. So now going into assessments, I was just asked over the weekend, Megan, how do you believe assessments should be used was the question. And do you think assessments should show up in the hiring process, which I have a very strong opinion of. But share with us a little bit as people are thinking, you know, I always say every week I learn of a new assessment, right? There's thousands and thousands out there. And how do you ensure as an organization, as an expert in assessments, as you are, how do you encourage organizations to make good decisions on what assessments they should be using for their teams? Mike, that's such a critical question because there are so many assessments out there. You've got things from BuzzFeed and Cosmo quizzes all the way to, you know, intelligence testing and and army aptitude tests and just just such a full array and they pop up all the time. And all assessments have a purpose and some are appropriate for certain situations and not appropriate for others. And that doesn't make them a good tool or a bad tool. But to get to your question, there are great assessments out there that are designed for and scientifically validated for the hiring process. The company I work for, Talent Plus, that's actually what we specialize in. We're very proud of that history and that work of those tools because we do the research to really, really truly identify what are the talents of top performers in those different roles that we're researching. And when that science is done correctly, you've got a really strong tool that is going to successfully identify who are the right candidates for a job. And there's a lot that goes into that science. There's a lot of law that has to be upheld to, and there's a lot of ethics that have to be upheld to. So when you check all of those right boxes and you go about it in the right way, like our company does, those are such powerful tools for not only selecting the right people for jobs, but setting them up for success too, helping them know what they bring to the table and how they can leverage those talents to just get a jump start in their new role and in a new organization. 
Megan, and you mentioned the benchmarking, like to ensure that they're statistically valid, ensure that the bias has been removed. I think it's also critically important that people are appropriately equipped with how to use them. Yes. Right? We see way too many organizations using assessments haphazardly and to the point that, you know, when you start you also need to be careful who you're purchasing assessments from and how, why they're selling them to you and, and benchmark yourself before you start using anything. Because just because an assessment says, here's an A player, you know, the question is, well, what's an A player in your environment and how would your team assess against an assessment, right? So that benchmarking data is so critically important. And I would encourage everyone you're going to use an assessment for hiring, use an assessment first to get to know your team and figure out how do we look on paper, right, through this tools. Are there any other tips that you would have, Megan, if somebody's just beginning to explore that process of what additional tools to, to add to their resources as they begin hiring and developing people? Yeah, I think, Mike, the very first question that I would ask that I think a lot of people skip over is what problem are we trying to solve? And more importantly, what, what are we hoping to learn from an assessment that we're not getting somewhere else? You know, when you think of an external candidate interviewing for a job, you're, you're learning a lot about that person's background, you know, in their resume. You're learning about them in an interview, your, your standard steps in a hiring process. What else do you want to learn in an assessment? You know, what else is that process not telling you? And are those critical for success in the job? There's kind of that counterbalance. But taking the moment to say, you know, what, what is this job that we're trying to focus on, whether it's promotion, development, or a hiring decision? And then taking a look at what's critical for success in that job and then saying, okay, what in our hiring process is already tackling this? What are we not covering in the hiring process? And that's a great place for an assessment. If you know, you're, you're having opportunities where you're hiring people and you're realizing you're having some really quick turnover because perhaps there's a lot of negativity in the people and it's not a good role for someone to have negativity. Well, an assessment could help you really identify people that are more positive if positivity is something that is critical for success in the role. So I, I always advocate for organizations to really think about what problem are we trying to solve? Is it relevant to success on the job? Is it critical for success on the job? And are you not measuring it somewhere else or capturing it somewhere else in the hiring process? And Megan, in the last couple of roles prior to you joining... Talent Plus, which we're going to talk about further, but you were in a director of people science and optimization role. You were in a director of talent growth and development role, of which I believe assessments were a big part of those two positions. Yes, they definitely were. So leading the, the strategy of how we choose tools, how we implement tools, and how ultimately our end users and our leaders would embrace those types of tools. So for, for both of those organizations, that was a critical part. And an assessment should absolutely be a critical part of a talent management strategy. It shouldn't just be a, you know, what's the flavor of the month or, you know, something, you know, shiny object you're chasing after. It should be a well thought out 
strategy as part of what you're trying to solve for your talent and what you're trying to solve as an organization. So you took a step back into these two organizations and identified the strategy, what's missing, what are we trying to achieve, what are our both short-term and long-term objectives, and did you build assessments in-house or did you also leverage outside tools? So both. Okay. Both. There's certain moments where there's great tools that exist already that are the perfect fit and they're built in a strong, scientifically valid, legally compliant way that can be deployed quickly. And in those cases, a vendor tool is a great, a great option. And there are also situations where maybe you want something incredibly custom and maybe you have a platform on the inside that you know might be able to help do that kind of custom work. And so the build on the inside isn't as much of a lift and the custom work is worth that extra time because of the specification that you're going to get out of it. So there were definitely times where we would do both. And let's talk a little bit about the, we talked about, we referenced the strategy, but I think the strategy that we're discussing is really an alignment of two strategies, right? How do we align the organizational strategy and objectives, goals, and visions to the people strategy? Because without people, nothing gets accomplished, right? So can you talk a little bit about when someone says, you know, Megan, what's a, what's a people strategy look like? How do you go about fine-tuning one, creating one, executing one, where would you recommend they start? So that's a great question. And, and I would say from a starting point, there are amazing resources out there from the, the Deloitte's and the Bursons and the Mercers out there. There are really, really great resources in terms of annual talent trends or talent strategy playbooks. Those are some of my favorites that are out there. So If you're listening to this and you literally have no idea where to go, those are powerful, powerful resources that can give you an idea of where to start and what should be on the horizon. And I think in terms of building out a people strategy, truly understanding where we are now from a needs analysis standpoint, what's working, what's not, and what is the data support here? So is there a situation where we're having a lot of turnover in the first 90 days that's new and different? Are we having some challenges in terms of maybe struggling frontline leaders or first-time leaders? Very tricky transition to navigate for the first time. So what are some of the things that are happening and what is the data telling us where we, you know, where an organization might be missing that mark? And that's where a lot of the people strategy work can come into play. The data can help drive us to, to perhaps what's not working well right now. But also what is working really well right now and how do we leverage those sorts of things to capture and embrace and tackle the types of challenges that the data says that we're experiencing. So a little bit of blend of some great organizational benchmarking research that's out there with an understanding of the nuances of what's happening within your own culture and within your own people, I think together can be a great starting point. Yeah, that's excellent. We will also provide in the show notes the recent leadership trends survey that Talent Magnet Institute and Centennial, one of our business partner, led. So we will provide that in the show notes. It's talentmagnet.com 
backslash leadership hyphen trends. And Megan, I am excited that we just got a yes from Josh Burson. Wow. Rejoining our podcast later in this year, as well as Dave Ulrich. So we're going to have some good, and no, I let them know that you were on. So they're a right. little, <laughs> but you know, I did want to mention that because you referenced that. I mean, following the data, you know, we follow Corn Ferry, right? There's a lot of data that Corn Ferry puts out that is important for us to watch and be learning from. And as is your professional organization with PSYOP, you know, following what they're sharing is really important. And there's ways to catch up fast if you're trying to establish a true people strategy to execute against. So Megan, I recently heard a little birdie told me that you're about to receive a big award and that you've been named one of the top 10 most influential leaders in HR by Insights Success Magazine. That is true. Yes. A big honor. Very, very excited. I think by the time this podcast is released, that that news will be out. So a little bit of a preview for today, but just uh, very excited, very humbled and eager to share the award with the other the other leaders and just just a great honor. Happy to happy to be part of the group. Congratulations. Thank you. Very much so. I know when you and I were first introduced, I ran into all types of papers that were out that you had been a part of and bringing the science into an organization and specifically focusing on people science right? It's just such a unique area and important area for leaders to pay attention to. And it's super exciting for us to have the opportunity to introduce them to yourself so that they can choose the right ones to follow. That's great. And, and it's fun. I, I think it's fun. I'm a, I'm a big dork in that regard. So I love that it's valued. I love that it's fun. And it's a great career for me. Yeah, that's great. Well, again, congratulations on this. And we will definitely provide a link to this in the show notes once that is publicly announced. Thank you. So again, congratulations. As we look at self-awareness, you know, let's move into the topic of the power and purpose of 360s. I always tell people before we open up this door, right, that 360s is a door that you crack open that you really need to have a plan once you have the information. And if it's your first time taking a 360 and this conversation gets you ramped up, like we need to do a 360, I'd like to do a 360. It's been 10 years since I've done a 360. Just be prepared to have an action plan that follows. So this next part of the discussion that Megan and I are going to walk you through, I just want to preface that because I feel, you know, Taking a 360, getting your feelings hurt and sticking it in a drawer does nothing. And it's better not even to go down that path, right? I agree. But I'll share for myself personally, 360s have been actually life-changing. So uh, Megan, I'd like to ask you from your perspective, how do you define the overall purpose and power of 360s? I think 360s are one of the most powerful assessment tools out there. And I'm so excited to be talking about it today because 360s help develop you in all directions. They help give you feedback to manage upward, how to lead a team, 
how to interact laterally with peers and your partners. They give you insights as to where those different groups that you interact with agree and don't agree. It's a whole world of perspective and it's such a beautiful gift. And when you think about the ability to live your potential and to really understand how you're perceived, it's such an opportunity to give feedback and help develop talent and your talent specifically, but you're really creating a world where you're enabling people to do what they're good at and enjoy. So you're letting them know, hey, you're great at this one thing. And we all know that when we live our talents and we do something we're good at, we enjoy that because we like feeling good. We like feeling confident. That brings joy to us. So I think it's a powerful tool to be able to leverage our talents and to really just gain perspective of everybody who perceives us because we don't often get the opportunity to see how other people view us in a daily work environment. Yeah, we say a lot, Megan, that feedback is a gift, right? And there's no greater package for that gift to come in than a 360 because because you're hearing feedback from all of your stakeholders, right? Both internal and sometimes even external relating to board or key customers, something that we all need to be aware of. But for some reason, there are still people that haven't done it What have you found of why people are fearful or shy away from 360s? So I think from my point of view and my experience, there's really two reasons people stay away from them. One is the the fear of the unknown or the fear that you're not going to tell me something new. So when it's the fear of the unknown, we as humans know that when we're put in an opportunity where we might get some feedback that isn't flattering, we're protecting ourselves. It's a defense mechanism. We we know we're going to hear something that stings and doesn't feel good. And, and no one likes to be prepared for that kind of sting feeling. It's like that mirror you can't face. And, you know, for folks who who suffer from imposter syndrome, it's the exposure that you could be the imposter. They've outed you. And if you have a fragile ego, it's, it's shattering that ego as well. There's so many just human fears about hearing something negative about ourselves. But then there's other folks that have a perspective of, you know, I already know what that thing's going to tell me. And I'm so far along in my career. I'm not going to do anything different. I'm not going to change. So why bother taking me through this? I can tell you everything it's going to say, and I'm not going to do anything about it. So I think that's a very different type of person. It's not so much uh, fear necessarily as it is just an unwillingness to grow and adapt. But I think there's also another situation where there have been times where organizations have used 360s as weapons. And those are the unfortunate situations. So by using them as a way to, as like a lazy performance management tool to manage somebody out of an organization. So, you know, if I am a leader and I don't think someone's performing, I could do a 360 to see if any other people say the same bad things that I'm thinking about that person. And oh, perfect. Now I have evidence beyond my own observation. So I can justify 
surgically managing somebody else. In talking with some folks at Talent Plus to prepare for this conversation today, there was a reference to 360 PTSD. And that's exactly what that is. When it's been used as a weapon, whether it's an individual or within an organization, that negativity can last a very, very long time. And that can be hard to break through. So inappropriate use can cause that resistance as well. So that definitely presents challenges if done wrong, if led wrong, if, if you go into it with the wrong desires, right? And, you know, you mentioned the, you know, the feedback tool, hopefully those listening recognize that your intentions matter and you could ruin the experience for someone. I know there are people that we've talked to that talk about their demise based on, you know, a 360. I know that there are organizations that call us that are like, well, we really only want to do a 360 on one person, right? And you're like, there's the red flag. (laughs) Let's talk about that. I have had it come up. The goal of any assessment tool should be to identify where there might be barriers, right? Holding someone back. And most importantly, how do we build into how do we invest into our people? How do we invest into the teams and the resources that we have? As someone who has taken a lot of assessments, you know, each one of them brings value if you allow it to bring value, right? So as the recipient of that feedback, you know, I think the other fear, as you mentioned, the imposter syndrome, the the fear of you're going to be found out, like versus everything I learn, I may not agree with all of it, but I'm going to learn something from this and continue to get better because that's what I want for me. And that's what I want for my team. Are there certain aspects of not just taking an assessment or the 360 in particular and putting it on the shelf? So I talked earlier about having a game plan that a 360 is a massive door opener, but you've got to be willing to step in the room and make things happen with what you learn. How do you recommend people keep their 360 feedback alive? So I think about that in a couple of different ways. So first and foremost, as an organization, the organization should set up that 360 approach for success. And maybe they have a great talent management approach that they are are thoughtful in terms of how to do that and support that individual who goes through the process. Or maybe they're utilizing a company like my company, Talent Plus, in terms of that. It can go either way. But as an organization, that 360 experience needs to be very thought out in terms of even just administration and communication from the onset. So how do you identify who should be chosen to be a raider? What do you tell those people? How do you ensure confidentiality? Who gets a copy of the report and when do they get it? That's a huge anxiety moment in terms of who's going to see this. And so laying the foundation up front from the organizational standpoint as to how it's going to get administered is really, really critical. How do we explain the process? How do we make it clear it's not just one moment in time? How do you, you know, let people know up front that there's going to be a coach to support the person, which is obviously what I would advocate for. 
But what does that debrief plan look like? What are we going to do with that individual to help them set goals? And then how do we track that, hold that individual accountable, revisit it in the future? So that is some of that keeping alive from the the organizational standpoint. But the other thing is really on the individual. And I think that this is where I would like to put a plug out there for individuals to really drive some accountability on themselves. So in terms of not, you know, shoving it in a drawer and not looking at it again, when are opportunities that you should reread that and you should act again? And, you know, maybe it is when you're having a career conversation with your manager. Maybe it's during your annual review. Maybe you took an assessment for something else that has nothing to do with the things in 360. And how cool would it be to put your assessment results from a different tool up against the 360 and what's the same and what's different? Maybe you're going to go into a new coaching engagement, individual or group coaching. Maybe you get a new boss, a new team. You start a new role. You're taking on a growth assignment. There's so many great opportunities where I would raise my hand and say, hey, pull that out again. What, what's in there? And how do we know what you can leverage in terms of your talents? And what are things that you should think about from a watch out standpoint? I think individuals rely very much on the organization to help them keep using it. But I think there's a really big accountability on the individual just to think about, hey, when should I look at this again? Hey, when could this come into play again? You know, maybe you're going through a period of stress or maybe you just got moved to lead a different team and you're kind of thinking about, gosh, where do I start? I'm a first-time leader again in so many ways. So I think from an individual standpoint and an organizational standpoint, there are huge opportunities to not only support that individual along the way through coaching, facilitative debrief and goal setting, but also for that individual to say, hey, it's on me to keep it alive too. And how do I keep refreshing not just what's in the report, but also, you know, refreshing in my mind, oh yeah, these are the things that people said were my talents. These are the things that people said, you know, maybe are more of my opportunities. And to think about how that interplays with daily work life. Yeah, Megan, in our content for our talent magnet community, we talk a lot about individual development plans and utilizing, as you reference, we bring 100% of ourselves to our 360s and be open to the feedback. And our organization helps and has infrastructure, wonderful, but some may not, depending on the size of your organization. So utilizing those tools in those development plans and bringing them back up to your manager, to the individual who you report to, even to your team, if they report to you, right? To hear the things that I referenced, here are the things that I heard, and here are the things that I'm going to reference that I'm even going to work on. You know, I always do say that when you have a 360, for some reason, we are wired, hardwired to look at the negative first. And the negative being any potential derailers, the negative being any low scores. But do remember that there's probably also some significant positives. But for some reason, that's where everyone goes and gets stuck to some degree. And us consultants have to help them kind of pull themselves out and say, yeah, 
well, wait a minute, that, that's just one side of the assessment. Let's look at the others. And, you know, as, as consultants, we do it too. We go straight to the negative when it happens for ourselves. And when we get our own 360s back, we make all the same mistakes because we're all human. We're drawn to the negative. We get hung up on the one question. We're immediately playing the blame game of who said what. We're going to the negative verbatims and we're living in that sting of not feeling good. It's all the same stuff we were afraid of, right? Like when we started. And then the second it comes back, we dig into it and we don't see anything else. And that is so hard to rise above. You know, a good coach taking somebody through that, that facilitative conversation isn't going to tell that, that recipient what to do. They're going to ask what trends are emerging. They're going to help that individual rise above and look at the themes and look at the patterns and then ask questions like, what is your reaction to this? How would you interpret this? What might the context be or the situation might be that the people shared this kind of feedback? Is there something specific going on on your team or in an organization? You know, how do you help that individual rise above that human nature to just go straight into the negative and just kind of fester in there? Well, to our listeners, we invite you, Megan and I both invite you to ask questions. Right. Again, don't go at this alone. Know that we both strongly value this tool called 360. And we know that many of you have participated, but some have not. And it comes up so often. So why are we specifically bringing up one tool? It's because we get asked about it all the time. And we also hear about the negatives that have happened. And usually it's a poor plan. Megan, I love the fact that you mentioned have a strategy. You know, you and I are on the same wavelength of every leader should have a coach. I think every people leader should have a coach. Coaching is not for, you know, there are times where there are people who need extra help that need a coach. But I say that corporate, the corporate world, the professional work world has really misconstrued when a coach should be utilized, which is, you know, I think they should be utilized all the time, right? I think we as organizations are responsible to bring out the greatest good of the people on our team. Isn't that why you hired them, right? So having the follow-up coaching, utilizing, creating a game plan, asking so many of the questions that Megan has put forth today will help you get started. But we know you're going to leave this episode with even more questions and say, you know what, I wonder if my team is aware of that or has thought about that. And that's what we're here for. That's what Talent Plus is there for. That's what the Talent Magnet Institute is here for. Hence why we're both with you today. So Megan, as we go through, are there any other tips as we bring this conversation to a close that you would like to leave with our audience that's around the world that's tuning into this discussion? Any other tips or questions you want to pose to those who are listening right now? So I would love to share a perspective in terms of 360s. And, and Mike, you kind of alluded to it in the, in the coaching. 360s and coaching should not be remedial events. They're not there to fix somebody that's broken because somebody else couldn't do it. And that's unfortunately what happens a lot. And 
I share the mindset and the philosophy of my organization that it's all about helping people leverage their talents. We're not going to take an opportunity and suddenly turn it into a strength, but we could use one of our talents to help us maybe compensate or delegate or to work through it in a way we hadn't thought of yet. And so 360s are not about trying to make people be who they aren't. We should really be using them to enable and empower people to be who they are and to leverage those talents. And what would the benefit to my company, to my team, to me be if everyone did a little bit more of what they were good at and really enjoyed? That's a philosophy that we live by and our coaches live by at Talent Plus. And it's very true. The 360 is not going to, quote unquote, fix you and identify your your brokenness and send you away. We want to give you strong and positive ways to look at all of the amazing things that you bring to the organization and leverage those to help you, your team, and your organization grow. Megan, thank you so much. Dr. Lazier for closing us down in that regard. I, it's a real honor and blessing and a spirit of thankfulness for our mutual friend to connect us several years ago now. You know, I think from what you just shared is such a positive lens for our listeners to look at themselves and their people, right? Again, feedback is a gift. We need self, more self-awareness in this world. And one of the best ways to work on situations and challenges and opportunities is to work on ourselves. And those organizations, you've got very fragile situations sometimes when we do 360s as, a, as an organization. And I think that extra time, you're not doing it just to get the data, right? Too often, we get stuck on, we just want to collect the data. And at the end of the day, this is a topic that's a sensitive one, because once you open up the data, you need to have a game plan, a strategy, a long-term. And this needs, more importantly, fit in to your people strategy. It's not just, we're just going to randomly go execute 360s. That is not what Dr. Lazier and I are talking about today, right? This is about having a full-blown strategy where this can be a key part to help bring out the greatest good in you and in your team. Let's see here. So any one other tip for leaders as we depart? Think about how you as an individual can keep it alive. It's on you to think about when you need to reread it, when you need to reference. And things do change over time when you think of year-over-year kind of 360s. But ultimately, our talents... And our opportunities do tend to be pretty stable. So how can you keep that fresh in your mind as your situations at work continue to change? I think that's something really important because I think individuals really focus on the organization doing that for them. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Mike. And to our listening audience, uh, it's been a real pleasure to have you with us today. Please come back with questions, with thoughts, with things that this discussion sparked in you that you want to further engage on. Both Talent Plus and Talent Magnet Institute are here for that very reason. There's nothing more that either one of our teams want than to help you and your team succeed thoroughly 
And as we say at the Institute, not just at work, but in relationships, work, community, and life. Again, as a follow-up, we're going to provide a couple of links to Talent Plus in the show notes. We also will provide a link to the leadership trends that we invite all of you to read, to download, to take part in the data. Hopefully, it will provide you some insights specifically on talent development and some data that hopefully will help you and your team build a better case to invest further in yourself and those around you. So have a wonderful rest of your day, and we look forward to the next conversation. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Zippel Jr. Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.